Welcome back to How AI Built This, uh, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. As always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates, technology recruitment specialists. Uh, today on the show, I'm speaking to Heather Daw, head of data at UST Global, um, a digital transformation provider working with some of the world's biggest names. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming on. Anyone that listens to the show will know we always kind of kick off on uh, education, um, mostly because people seem to come from kind of varying backgrounds. I actually had a show recorded this week where we said that if you've got a really good maths and stats background, you'll probably be quite in quite a good place to be a data scientist. And looking at your background, you did a, a bachelor's in maths and a, a master's in stats. Um, so I appreci- appreciate that might not be by design, but a decent background for a future in data science uh, nonetheless. Yeah, that's that's really true. I mean, it doesn't have to be the case for sure. You know, um, we I, I've worked with data, very good data scientists through the years. Got no through the years who've really not got that much of a background in math. So, I suppose with that, I'm trying to say, you know, you can come from that is a wide variety of backgrounds in terms of data science. But yes, I suppose I have got the traditional route in, which is, well, if there is a traditional route in for data sciences yet. On the other side of forty these days, you know, I, I did my maths degree. Just over, just under twenty five years ago now, and it gives you know the maths itself gave me a very good foundation for um, the st- statistics and further statistical study in my masters, which I did. Um, I, I studied for my masters about after about seven or eight years of of um, of working. I I, I did that uh, in my distance learning at Sheffield in the evenings. Both have certainly helped me, but um, and and that's you know that it, it gives me a really solid foundation for being a data scientist. But it's really important to emphasise the. I, I always encourage the data scientists I work with and it, to really seek to understand the business area they're working in because you know you can have a brilliant understanding of the theory of neural networks, but if you can't understand the business area you're working on or don't appreciate it, you can't necessarily do. Well, I think you're you're going to be less effective as a data scientist. So it's great to have the math foundation, but the understanding of business area and the sort of topic, the subject area is really important too. Yeah, no, one hundred percent, and it's something that comes up quite a lot on the show is kind of you can be amazing at all the technical elements of, of data science. And I'm sure there will be companies where you can thrive and do really well. But most data scientists that I know need to have an element of kind of business acumen or understanding or even just like why you're doing what you're doing as opposed to just sitting and doing it. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's empathy, really. You know, being able to put yourself in the position of the, the people you're helping with the data that you're analysing or whatever you're doing with, whether that's a business, you know, that's a sort of an obvious business problem, an industrial problem or a, a population challenge. It, it's it's the same thing to try and understand the, you know, to seek to understand the area, area and the problem you're trying to solve. There's kind of like a teaching element to data science, right? I've just put this in my head together right now, but when you think of maths and stats, like personally speaking, as a, as a kind of learner, or uh, someone that's like done various studies over my over my life. Anything with numbers or stats gives me an instant headache. I'm useless, like beyond useless. And then you get these people that I mean, I know them. I work with some of them, and numbers just click, and like everything just works. I suppose I suppose in some way, a good data scientist is the person that everything just clicks, but they can explain it to people like me. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and. and- importantly as well with that there's a broad spectrum of skills to to, to effective data science and if you can get that in one person that's super but actually that doesn't happen very much of the time so that's where it's sort of data science teams come in and 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 multidisciplinary teams and and yes i mean it's very important for you know for for data scientists to be able to 
convey findings and thoughts and solutions to you know the people the non-data scientists are working with but that could be a, a team as opposed to one individual yeah, no, 100%. And I think, I don't know if you would agree with this, and we've already got way late, but that's fine. It seems like to me, within companies now, data scientists are like, they're part of wider like teams or people call them squads, tribes, whatever, where it used to be kind of a few years ago when I was helping companies that a data scientist sat in a team of data scientists or they were the only data scientist. Whereas now it feels like you get like a product owner, a project manager, like a data engineer a software developer and a data scientist and they all kind of collaborate together and that seems to make sense throughout my career i've worked with different clients and obviously you know within businesses and consultancy and such like you see different working models for this kind of thing and i think what you've just described can work really effectively um that sort of multidisciplinary approach the multidisciplinary team approach um, and I, I've built teams in, in in that way, you know, they can work together very effectively. Likewise, you see in different businesses, you know, they'll they'll have a sort of central group of data data scientists that filter out to different parts of the business as, as required. That can work well as well. I mean, one thing that data scientists like, I find, and you know, I'm a data scientist. I'm the same. To be able to to be with other data scientists to talk, you know, to, to sort of talk about problems, solving, you know, the, the different approaches to 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 what what they need to do. That you know, so what I suppose what I'm trying to say there is, it's good not to be in isolation. So yeah, that was yeah, that's a good point actually. It's one of the problems I found. There was a, a company in Manchester we did some work with, and one of the data scientists mentioned to me that there was only maybe four data scientists. And the four of them were split up into four different business units because they just they did the kind of multidisciplinary approach and they worked with product owners and software engineers and testers. But what it actually meant was the four data scientists never really got to speak because they didn't carve out that time within their week, their month, their year, where as a data scientist, you want to bounce data problems off each other. So that's probably, yes, it's a good thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think any sort of leader in that position should help the data scientists to carve out that time to get that time, you know, together in whatever capacity or how they do it to, to like you say, to bounce those ideas around. And Yeah, because you don't want to get stuck being the most senior data scientist and never speak to anyone else and then feel like you might have not picked up a new technique, you might not have thought of a way of solving a problem. Well, that's kind of... Because I think it would be quite rare to sit in a kind of team with only one software engineer for example there's quite often multiple software engineers and that's that's probably the reason for it other than yeah yeah completely i'm sure they've got lots of work to do as well so let's take a kind of whistle stop tour through your career um i'm definitely not going to do it justice by how i've set this out but i think kind of to start off the show you spent a kind of decent amount of time working um in the nhs specifically for nhs information center in leeds and even just from looking at the the kind of paragraph on your LinkedIn profile, that looked it looked like a really interesting kind of role to get involved yeah. in. So, um, and these days, the the organisation is called NHS Digital in Leeds. Oh, okay. Um, so, and, and that's what it is. So, yeah, I spent about eight years at NHS Digital. I started off leading the uh, NHS workforce statistics um, collection and publication, and that that was a particular area. And I sort of moved around the organisation quite a bit. Um, I ended up building it and it this was i mean this was when was it back in 2008 um or so we had a requirement to process a huge amount of um what was start you know it was t- typically the hospital data millions of rows of it and to synthesize indicators from that data that and the indicators required particular kind of risk models and stuff to be generated to synthesize the indicators and um 
so I ended up, I think, and I, you know, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about my background, but I started off in software development. I kind of morphed in software design for telecommunications. I moved into statistics after about seven years. And I put the two together in my head quite quickly, um, quite early on, really, just when, I mean, data science hadn't really emerged. That mixed background meant I could see that if you could bring together um, software development teams with statisticians and others, you could do a lot with data. <laughs> so this was sort of back in 2008, and I built a, a data science team, the multidisciplinary team I was, teams that we were just talking about. I built one there, and we, you know, we were early days in the sort of the skills and the teams and the processes um, and, the, and the systems you need to, to take data at scale and to process it and analyse it and, and gain insights from it. Do you think that the software engineering background has really helped you in that way? I mean, I know we talked about mass and stats setting you up Massively. quite nicely to be data yeah. scientist, but it's something, again, that it seems to be creeping into the show with more regularity over the last six to 12 months that people have noticed that there's certain parts of software engineering that you can really implement into data science. And not necessarily yeah. like copy and paste it, but they're kind of like the principles. Oh, um, oh, the, the, the principles are, or they, they've given me such a foundation. Um, in The thing is, you know, I started off as a software developer, so I was coding and um, yeah, it was, it was large scale database systems, telecommunication systems. What that, I mean, but but you know what you're doing up there essentially is fiddling around with data. Yeah, I wasn't analysing it and I wasn't uh, modelling it or, or determining the risk of something happening from that data. But you could do that, and and I, you know, and so that was early in my career. And and I always enjoyed studying statistics at university when I did my maths degree, and I always knew I wanted to continue it. And I kind of wanted to get into into statistics as a job. This, you know, having had the software development background meant. When I went into statistics as a job, I could see that if you did these things systematically and applied, you know, statistical methods, com- computational methods at scale, you could do a, an enormous amount with the data you have. <laughs> so, so yes, it was a yeah. very good grounding for me. Um, software develop, you know, software design, software development. Yeah. I feel like that's what a lot of our clients now come to us and say, like, we really want to find a data engineer or a data scientist but it would be amazing if they've maybe come from a software development background and I think a lot of people have kind of twigged a little bit that that part of it has maybe been missing in some teams where maybe they've come from something a little bit too theoretical or they've never worked with software teams before so it ends up being a bit disjointed so like yeah having having the blended background or someone in the team with that background. Yeah I think that for me it's how you you can't expect them, you know, this whole blend of skill sets that we're talking about to be in one individual. It rarely happens. So if, you know, to, to build, to, you know, to get things done effectively, it's about building those teams. But importantly, when you're building the teams, to be aware of the skill sets you need. And that can be missing um, in industry today because simply because, as you're, you know, as you're saying, that, that awareness that, that you need different pieces of the jigsaw to come together uh, and if you're not aware of what you know, piece of the jigsaw, how it can help, and you know, software development, for, you know, for example, then you're not going to be able to build that team as effectively as you could. If you see what I mean, so that that kind of collective awareness is is really important. Yeah, we've almost had it the opposite way. I've, I've had a, a kind of another client in Scotland where their data engineers are very software 
development backgrounds like that's how they've that's how i think they've probably moved more people from their software engineering teams into those data engineering roles as the company's kind of scaled because like they probably like you something twigged that you can bring them both together um but then sometimes they've had maybe more like traditional data engineers come through they don't have the software background and like you said there like maybe not quite noticing that that could actually be a gap and maybe they could do with that nice mix so it's not just all the same well, people yeah i mean it's you know, I think we'll probably talk about this some more in a bit, but when it comes to productionization of um, analytics and, and AI at scale, what we're talking about here, that collective skill set is really important because what, what you're really doing when you develop, you know, when you turn out analytics at scale is it's pretty much a software development process, but you're adding on layers of complexity and the fact that you've got machine learning, versioning, data versioning and such like, but the principles are the same. So, you know, having that knowledge and awareness of software engineering and devops and such like and you, t- you can, it means you can with additional layers like i say of the analytics processes that enables you to productionize um analytics and ai at scale which is something that's missing a lot in industry at the moment and and um yeah so that that skill set you're talking about is really important yeah the the kind of data ops ml ops kind of bandwagon is, is well and truly underway i think i think people have realized that it, it's definitely needed that's probably yes. the part a well, lot of them were missing yeah i mean you know i i did a talk a while ago um, with and, and one, of, one of the people on the panel said you know the client she talks to they do the data scientists within within the you know the business do an enormous amount of proof of concepts and show that something will work but they never actually get it to the production <laughs> so they show something oh brilliant and then well, what do you do next? And it's the, it's ML ops that will take it to, to the to the production level, you know, embed it into the business and actually get them to be able to benefit from from those innovations. And it's also been able to kind of like to replicate that further down the line, right? Because I think sometimes it can be you have an amazing data scientist or or whatever in the team and they produce something amazing, but it's like it'll work that one time or it'll work until they leave. Yeah. And then no, no, exactly. Will, I mean, nobody yeah. will remember how they did it. Yeah, you, 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 that's a really important point because you know what we're finding with with MLOps with our clients we're working in who've you know to deliver MLOps for them and with them is um, what the benefits they're arriving at are. Yeah, you know the data scientists get the tools and stuff they need and want to do their job, but as you say, importantly for the wider business, they're typically they're doing it in one place um, and in a place where you know their work's reproducible. They can mash up their pipelines in different ways when they need to do something that's similar but different in in terms of you know deliverables and stuff. So you get you get uh, sort of optimizing the the work of data scientists, and all of that is kind of de-risking that whole process because you're taking the single point of failure, which a data scientist can be. Um, you're taking that out because you're retaining corporate memory with, within the you know whatever MLOps platform you're using. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And then after the NHS, um, I think there was a time, and you might still be doing this, just let me know, but you worked as kind of a a data science consultant, essentially. So working for different companies, like a a kind of Hiscox large insurance company or um, a couple of others. Well, for five years, I ran my data science consultancy. And and there was a a combination of product development and consultancy there. And I I was product developing with with the NHS and others so I did quite a lot of healthcare consultancy for five years and then a couple a few years ago I moved uh, to Hiscox as lead data scientist and that you know, that's prior to the role I'm in now at UST. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. So did the individual consultancy where where you were able to work with different clients and, and like you said, do some consultancy, build some products, did that kind of come about just as it really appealed after your work with NHS Digital that you could do that again with loads of places rather than being in one spot? Um, yeah, to a degree it did. I mean, I was consultancy was something I was interested in simply you get you know there's 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 more I suppose it's more of a drive to innovate in consultancy you, typically you get taken in you know get brought in to solve a problem and, and to help a business to, to, to solve that problem and, and then you know consultant the nature of consultancy is you, you, you do generally move on so there's yeah so I, I mean I, I, I enjoy the innovation well I enjoy the innovation piece I also enjoy the team building piece to be honest and, and working with others so that's something I missed and you know whilst I did obviously you know I worked with others in consultancy I missed the sort of um the team element of it and that was one of the things that, that brought me get to go back you know to go back into the world of um, permanent employment <laughs> yeah no it, it makes sense and I've always thought that like if if people like that kind of lifestyle of delivering projects normally like you said kind of kind of leading from an innovation point of view but being able to hand it off and go and work on something else like whether that's six months two years three years down the line I can see the appeal to that because it kind of it almost feels like you're doing a new job like every yeah. every so often but, but my I mean my current role is more similar to that than, um, than than others you know it is I'll develop a service a data service with a client and yeah we won't you know we'll it'll become a managed service hopefully and then and then I won't walk away I'll still be engaged but not in the same way when I'm, you know, sort of seeking to drive it forward to, from, from the start. So, so yeah, it's, it's quite similar now. And in your experience in insurance as well, that, that seems to be like a kind of, it's, it's a classic industry for a data scientist because there's so much customer data, there's so much kind of product data that you can see why, among others, insurance has been one of those ones where you can see a lot of data scientists kind of being involved in those companies. Um, d- did you like that kind of element to it? It's interesting you say that. Is um, whilst it, and and I try to put this, different sectors, different business sectors are at different stages generally in their sort of data maturity. And insurance, it's fascinating in insurance because, as you said, there's huge amounts of data. Particularly, you know, in, there's different parts to insurance. If you're looking at retail insurance, you've got the whole aspects of. of understanding your customer and marketing to them and, and understanding their, their lifetime value and such like and then you've also got within you know with the insurance products you've got the underwriting processes so you know understanding the risk associated with a given insurance product and, and doing that more effectively and, and it's I think within the insurance there's particularly the large um, insurance there's actually it's there's a lot of untapped potential for the data within insurance and how to put it you know yeah it's a fascinating area and there's a lot more to be done in that space (laughs) yeah people maybe a little bit they know what they know in kind of insurance data whereas there's probably a lot more i think i think there's a there's a lot of scope to to um change sort of typical underwriting processes using machine learning and, and ai that is happening increasingly uh, it's it's got a way to go in insurance. Yeah, no, I think so I, as I think as well as the, yeah, yeah, the sort of marketing areas as well, of course. Yeah, and, no, definitely the personalization piece. And if we fast forward to January twenty twenty, so um, you joined USD Global as UK head of data. I'm guessing that you managed a grand total of six or eight weeks in the office before yeah, national lockdown. That's about it. Um, <laughs> <You're> right, <laughs> and it's crazy that we're already so far away from that but um yeah 
tell us a bit about the I suppose two things. So so the role that you do at UST, but also um what what the company do and and kinda where I suppose data kinda comes into that. Sure. Okay, so so I say start with I say a little bit about UST. So in UST we branded end of last year, so now UST is post UST Global. So it's a big pretty sizable company, twenty years old, about twenty six thousand employees around the world and um built on tech and innovation. So we provide um te- you know, technology platforms, services and resources into large large corporates, typically large enterprises around the world. Got a big presence in the US, uh, in Europe, Europe, in the UK, uh, India, and, and out in the, in, in the other uh, sort of further east parts of Asia, as well as Australia. So you know, it's a big company. Um, like I say, built on technology, and data is increasingly part of what we do. Um, so I was brought in to grow, further grow the UK data practice, and that cuts across. All, all data through sort of data management through data engineering data science and ai deployment such like in terms of what i do uh, in my, my job like i say i'm growing the data practice we in the uk we work we typically work with um we're a business a business provider we typically work with FTSE 100 companies you know companies of that size to provide them with their technology you know technology services so devops testing such like and increasingly we're we're, we're building out our data uh, our data relationship with our existing clients and, and uh, building relationships with new ones. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I remember when I first spoke to um, Richard Jackson, he said that USD are probably like the biggest, most successful company you've never heard of. I think that's a very that's a very good way of putting it. I certainly hadn't heard of USD when you know I was approached in the, uh, to, to, for this role, um, and you know it's a. I, I enjoy this role very much. It's, it's, it's challenging in the sense that we're growing the data practice, but, but there's not really a but there. It's there's a there's a drive to innovate and to, to you know to, to find ways to help our new ways to help our clients and you know to create new opportunities with new clients, and that takes innovation and and it's right up my street if I'm honest. So um, yeah, it's an, it's yeah. a very interesting role, challenging you know that that's all good. And one of the reasons it's probably a good thing that people haven't heard of you, given what. UST do is it means you're probably quite good at it because do you know like the job that I do loads of consultancies have bad names like big small medium sized like you're just like if when you hear their name you're like oh whereas like yeah if you've not if you've not heard of UST and they're doing as well as they are then there's probably a reason for it that's a really good point as well is you know the company the UST over the past 20 years has grown it would have started off so well yeah you know word of mouth corridor conversations it's harder these days with those things <laughs> so yeah, you know kind of we are no exactly so, <laughs> no there's no, not so you know we, we would we, we're taking yeah we're taking other approaches these days we'd be doing that anyway but but COVID's definitely you know pushed, pushed us to do that more and from your point of view as a kind of head of data, so I, I've had conversations like this in the past where someone's been brought into a company where maybe they're well known for something else, whether that be software engineering, DevOps, whatever, and they bring in someone or, or a team of people and say, like, we want to get the data side of the business up and running. How is some of it a little bit kind of like chicken and egg where you build some really cool capability and try and show a client by doing it that way but also do it by speaking to them and seeing what they need at the same time i think both so we've been we've been doing both and with some you know um some of the opportunities that we've we've 
made and, and, and fulfilled this this past year I think two of them were you know we're in a position that the client really our client really needed something and we we got in the right time and 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 had and it and we've achieved that way so that's sort of the second second part of it but you know what you what you just said but um the yeah we've certainly been seeking to create opportunities through innovation and sharing that innovation and, and 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 ideas and thoughts and thinking and that's that is a really important part of what what we're doing at the moment and how we're seeking to grow it makes sense and i suppose it gets easier in, in a job like yours where if you deliver something either through some innovation or being in the right place at the right time if you deliver something for footsie 100 company x it becomes a little bit easier for you to speak to someone else within the similar yes. world or try, or just trying to yep. figure out a similar problem. Yes, that's exactly it. And we're kind of along that journey. We're, you know, so we've got to that point with a couple of clients now and we're doing exactly what, you, what you're saying. You know, once, once you've shown value in one place, in big place, it's, it's easier to tell your story. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it, yeah, it, you're exactly right with that. Because that's all, I, I suppose... I, this is a very sweeping statement, but at the end of the day, in the job that you do, like that's all your clients are really bothered about, isn't it? Like, can you create some value either um, by saving us money or saving us time using data? Very much. But there's, yeah, you're exactly right. And but we're also challenged with the, the you know, there's been a lot of hype about around um, AI data. <laughs> yes. So it's like, well, we all know that data lakes. They must, you know, large ent- large businesses have spent collectively millions of pounds on them over the years the past few years and actually quite a few of them ended in failure and they're not actually getting the value out of them they need and so there's a lot of cynicism around data and analytics and AI as well at the moment and I completely understand that so the important part for me is to be able to pretty cheaply for our you know our clients show them value and then seek to to scale that for them and to help them in the the ways they need and those are my sort of key objectives well you know some of my key objectives <laughs> and do you think the benefit of using like UST and someone with your experience for your customers you can provide them with kind of solutions that aren't necessarily like the all singing all dancing because I feel like sometimes when you maybe bring in one person to be your standalone data scientist quite naturally from like a kind of human point of view there'll be a, a kind of desire to go off and do this crazy fancy AI project that will you end up asking for more and more cash and then the client isn't happy at the end of the day and the data scientist didn't enjoy the work. Like that's probably one of the really good reasons, at least in the early stages, to bring in someone with a bit of kind of like business know-how and maybe don't go straight for the crazy AI solution and maybe look at this first, for yeah. example. It's, it's much better, i found, <laughs> over the years a lot to start small and grow and... You know, if a company's ready for some crazy AI solution, but, you know, I wouldn't be putting forward a crazy AI solution if I didn't think it would bring them benefits. But if they're ready for that, then, yeah, let's have that conversation. But most most people aren't. So what's the point? <laughs> you might as well start with something that will bring them tangible benefits and will work and, you know, and will deliver. And don't get me... It, it, that's, that's a really important thing because a lot of these things fail. So, you know, let, let's prove the value and then build out from there. But we seek obviously to, to deliver and, and, to, and to, to build value as you go and that's how you'll get trust as a consultancy like no matter where you work like if you can bring a client on and kind of get them to trust that your solution is going to work 
the more and more you get down the line with them, like there's more opportunity opens up to to maybe do some of the kind of more interesting work. But once you've laid the groundwork first, um, which I think makes sense, and we've already touched on it, but it's probably worth touching on in a bit more detail. So, so you mentioned um, before the call that like a big part of the work UST are doing this year and and helping clients with is that kind of productionization piece. Uh, and you mentioned already kind of companies struggling to get the benefits. So. Is it really focusing on that MLOps piece or is it working out a client's readiness for data at the start of the process? It's both. Um, the thing is, if a client isn't ready to productionise their analytics, then there's no real point in talking to them about MLOps. Um, but if they are typically big retail, for example, at the moment, they're, they're, they're succeeding in productionising their analytics and AI in some places, but not in others. So... To me, that that sort of suggests there's the opportunity, well, not yeah, an opportunity to to help, um, you know, and but they're ready to have that MLOps conversation. Um, with others, they're not ready yet. So, um, but they want to do something useful with their data. So let's do that and help them, you know. And and part of that will be will likely be data strategy based. If they haven't got a data strategy, then it's, you know, it's a useful thing to have to lay out that roadmap for what you're going to be doing with your data and how you're going to get benefit from it and, and make, you know, and, and optimise your, your chances of success and such like. So data strategy, um, seeking to, to grow out, um, like I say, starting small and, and developing success from, from data and whatever that is. And then as the client matures in what they're doing, how they're doing it, companies are at different scales of readiness for productionization of, of their analytics and AI. And it's only really when they're ready, it's time to time to, to, to do that, then then that's when the, you know the opportunities arise a bit like I said earlier. And and you know it's a statistic. The biggest reason why um, AI projects fail is is because enterprises can't productionize it. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's that's, so it's there but it's the kind Exactly it's such a, it's a core challenge it's a fundamental challenge that is holding back big business i think you know startups and medium-sized enterprises will do this more easily because it's easier to do in a start you know there's only there's only five of you there's only 10 of you there's only so many conversations you can have about it whereas if you're in a big enterprise there's so you know there's so many people around different place who you actually need to bring together at times to get to help you it's very hard to negotiate all of that and there's legacy systems and all sorts of stuff that you've got to cope with so it's it's harder in 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 the well I find it's harder in the enterprise in in big business, but it is achievable, and and the larger businesses will really start to realise the benefits of advanced analytics and AI when they crack the MLOps problem. Here's a question I've not asked on the show for a while. Where do you think, in maybe in these bigger companies as well, since you've probably got a lot of experience with it, where do you think data should sit in terms of like? If you've got a head of data or a chief data officer or a director of data, to, should they sit stand alone in the board meeting and talk about data strategies, or should they report into finance, marketing, technology? Ideally, though, they should cut across. Um, they should really in the business, but cut across into IT and have extremely good relationships with with IT. <laughs> they want to bridge that gap because there's a definite gap there. It, um, you know, in companies I've worked in, I've struggled to be able to get environments to do data science in because I, IT can't deliver what, what what you need. So you end up doing it yourself and annoying IT because you're just doing stuff for yourself and they can't provide it. You know, I've, I've built shadow IT teams within business 
within the business in in organizations i've worked in because it haven't been able to deliver so the person in charge of data and, and analytics and such like in a business if they can bridge the gap then that's just awesome <laughs> because you, you you can make relationship you know effective relationships because really you need you need these guys to work together effectively to be able to achieve so i think they should straddle it and the business yeah no that makes sense uh because i've seen loads of wonderful kind of permutations of where who data reports into and i don't think we've ever i don't think anyone's really cracked it yet but maybe yeah that kind of blended approach is the way to do it Another thing you you've mentioned um, kind of within your profile as well that that you kind of are a bit of an advocate for for democratizing AI. I suppose we've not touched on that hugely on the show in the past. So so what do you mean by that kind of a, as a broad concept? I suppose as a broad concept, and I could get quite philosophical about this. So I'll try I'll try not to. Well, maybe I'll, 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 I will. But but you you know it's like AI is built of machine learning and analytics, and analytics and machine learning is built of data. And data reflects society and people and the, and the thing the thing it's recording. So, the democratization part of it is about ensuring fairness for for everyone with AI and you know in, in how you use it, but also reflecting equality in both you know the people who develop the AI and the people who who, who innovate with it. It's kind of the classic example, right? Like from a few years ago where. Amazon built a really clever AI recruitment solution, but it was hugely skewed towards like white guys. And it wasn't because they trained it wrong, or sorry, it wasn't because they built it wrong, but it was it was training itself on all of the data of yeah, all the which white only guys reflected, they hired. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it, it just ref- so there was bias in that data naturally, bias in the data because actually you know the majority of of the people they're recruiting were. Well, historically were white males and so you just build up that the machine learns from the data and it builds up a bias it's not the machine's fault it's but so it's ensuring that the data you're using to train the model is fair or also you know of course the ways you build the models um are is fair and, and there are ways of doing that um but an awareness of how you need to do that and, and to do it is really important and i always like telling that story as well because if Amazon, with the money they have and the clever people they have working for them, if they can spend that amount of money on an AI solution that was kind of inherently flawed, then it should make everyone sit back and think when they're building solutions, like, what have we forgotten? Because there's, there's, prob- there's probably something. But it's still happening now, isn't it? And it will, it will continue to do so for a fair while, I think. You know, quite. it's not uncommon for... for twitter to accidentally appear racist or something and you know because their 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 video filter or their camera you know their their image filter is for without they're not meant to do it at all but it's prejudice in some way it appears to be because that's the the data carries bias and it's happening it's still happening and it's happening quite a lot and it will continue to do so um until well I don't know if we'll ever get rid of the problem, but to raise the awareness and, and you know the ways you can can um, avoid it, I think is very important. And yeah, I'm quite you know I'm a real advocate for it because otherwise, you know, we're going to keep keep encountering these problems. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point, and it's something that we've we've not delved into huge on the show, but the kind of the ethics and and the fairness behind AI is it's a really really interesting topic. It's fascinating, um, and you can get down a real rabbit hole. Like, I mean, I've accidentally done it, and I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Um, so it must be very interesting for people that actually know what they're doing. I mean, fundamentally, it comes down to being aware that 
bias is is out there you, you know we live in a prejudiced society like it or not that that's how it is and, and so data will carry bias and, and just and seeking to ensure that the you know when you use machine learning and, and to create AI and use it in any way the processes you use to build that AI you know use methods to explain explain it to the people building it so they can ensure it's not it's not biased yeah no i've heard loads of stories like there was a guy on the show before in insurance like there there's certain things you're not allowed to discriminate on in insurance so when you're building a model i think it was nationality he gave the example of but there was not in the company he worked for but there was stories of you could discriminate essentially by taking someone's surname and like essentially implementing like a scrabble score to it and the higher it is the higher the premium is like stuff like that so it's like it's getting rid of all these things as well like because again it's not the model's fault no it's just it's just training itself to be as good as it can be so yeah, it, and will, it could be, it will it find, it could be yeah. a great model but it doesn't make it, it doesn't yeah make it i mean good you know a, like a, common, a very common example in, in healthcare is, is deprivation deprivation is you know is a good it's a horrible thing more deprived people typically have worse healthcare outcomes so if you use that to model healthcare outcome deprivation it will it will give you a good a better prediction but that doesn't mean you should use deprivation as a to because it, it justifies if you when you use it in that way it, it justifies that you know the more deprived people have worse outcomes that shouldn't yeah. that is not justifiable <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah and a, a topic we i just thought about just now but on a show we did recently we talked about explainable ai and i mean in the job you do with the customers you're speaking to that kind of the explainability piece must be almost top of your agenda right it, yeah you're exactly right explainable ai is really it's very important and it's it's only really when our clients really start to use machine learning in earnest do do you really get the opportunity to, to talk to them about it more because when you know because then you can go in and say look guys you need to be able when you're generating these machine learning models and he's doing all this stuff you do need to be able to understand what it's doing and why it's doing it, or at least to understand that it's not biased when it's doing these things in, the, in, in these ways. And yeah, it's it's very much top of agenda. You know, we build it into our ML ops processes, and um, you know, we, we've got modules that that will will help our clients to understand the machine learning models. And importantly, those modules aren't just built for data. In fact, they're not really built for data scientists. They're built for the subject matter experts who also need to to be assured that you know that the machine learning model isn't going to going to be biased yeah no that makes sense um and we've already touched upon this quite a lot um but you've been part of kind of some really interesting teams building interesting teams is there anything that you've learned over the years kind of that, that stood you in good stead when it comes to either joining a new company or just building a new team within a company like is there anything that's really stuck out for you when building these data teams what stands out yeah i i mean i don't know I, you know fundamentally you're building a team of people to, to do a job so you know you need to you need to be able to build the team of people to deliver whatever you're delivering to but it's that balance and um and just appreciating that people have their own you know people develop in different ways and people have different skills and really to to help help them to see where they fit in the team and what they're doing because you know when you're doing data science and, and building out teams to to do what what are complex analytics at scale you've got different people with different skill sets and they might not really know what one person's doing over there but so and you don't really need them to understand the minutiae and the technicalities of what they're doing but just to help the, the whole team to understand where they fit in 
and what their role is and how you know and communication i think is what i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah no <laughs> you know, that makes sense it's because again you've worked in different types of companies but where you are just now does the communication and the kind of business understanding almost take on even more of an importance than the technical skills because i mean you can probably kind of give people a crash course in certain technologies that are really important to UST, but you probably don't have the time to sit down and explain stakeholder management to them or try and persuade them that they need to have a kind of invested interest in the client, for example. No, but I think that comes with experience. So if, I mean, with a balanced team, you can have people who can help you to to do that and, and help others to appreciate what you know, how we need to work with our clients and how we need to understand what, what, what they're after. I mean, you know, importantly, it's just, you know, the clients we work with, you know, we try to imbue ourselves in them as much as possible without sort of giving, causing them hassle. But you work to create a relationship with them whereby they understand that it's in their interest to help, you know, to help you to understand as much as possible. And that really we're all just a big team, you know. So that means we, we get a great understanding of what's being delivered, you know, de- developed and delivered and can just seek to ensure that we succeed they yeah, yeah, we no. all succeed that makes sense and then the kind of last topic i was going to touch on and we, we can go into this in much detail as you want i think the the kind of whole thing of diversity and the the world of technology is going to be raging on for for a while now um and kind of quite rightly so um but you've mentioned it before as well and kind of i always say like people are an advocate for diversity and technology but i don't know who wouldn't be an advocate so i'm not really sure but we've had some we've kind of had some horror stories on the podcast from from people who are working in data as a woman uh, and it, it feels like we've still got a quite a long way to go and maybe even further in data than other areas do you know it, it's fascinating isn't it i mean it, i'm finding it not so bad where i am now but i've been places over the years where 10 years ago i thought it got better when it hadn't it got worse in terms of diversity and and I don't think it's any really much better now than it was then. As you know, there is a drive to change. There's always a drive to change. But one thing I've learned, um, but you know, particularly as I'm in more of a leadership role now, is just the importance of role models. Um, you know, I've got two two daughters, and and they they're young, and and as they grow, it just becomes increasingly important to me. And it, this isn't only about gender; it's about every, about equality and in, in, you know diversity. It's like I said, for practical purposes, it's important to, to you know, as we were talking about earlier, for, for fairness and such like an AI. But but it's it's just important, isn't it? And it and it's not equal now. Let's let's be you know, and it is not even close. And, and so so yes, it is very important to me. And you know, I'm obviously an advocate for it. I take the opportunities I, I can and I do to to, to speak out um, and to. And to, to really to, to seek to help others in whatever, you know, wherever they are, wherever they are to, to do what they want to do and that and to develop how they want to develop. I don't know. It's um it's a challenging area. And like I say, I thought 10 years ago it got better. No, it's not anywhere close. It gets worse and it, it, it's, it can be quite disheartening at times. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. I mean, one of the big challenges we've got just now, especially in the role we do as kind of like a, a kind of middle person between two different parties that we have quite a lot of clients and you've already touched on this just a second ago but they'll say like well could you not send us some more female cvs whereas in reality what i always ask them is like do you not just mean more diverse cvs like so and we had some training on it actually from a really good trainer who said like just questions like has this was this person the first person in their entire family to go to university like 
have they come from some sort of kind of like um, asylum seeker type background? Like those things are really important too, because it's still giving your team a kind of different angle, a different experience. And like you said, kind of filling gaps in teams and making them a bit more well-rounded. Yeah. But because with all of this is, it's like, you know, getting that well-rounded team, the, the quality, it's, it's like I was saying earlier, and with that, this is going to risk me generalising, but the the ability to to empathise is you'll get that in a more balanced team than you will in a polarised team, you know? And, and empathy is such a fundamental thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's and that's not most, even the technical yeah. thing. That's just no, like no, no, but to if do you don't your job. No, no, exactly. <laughs> and, and, um, but it's like we were saying earlier, that is a data scientist to understand... It's, to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it rather than oh, I'm building a deep learning model to, and it's going to predict this, you know, and so I'm going to make this deep learning model as good as I can. Actually, it might not matter that the, that deep learning model is as good as it can be. It might just, it, you know, it, it doesn't need to, it, it's not necessarily about the model. What are you doing yeah. with that model? You yeah, know, that's and, one of the, that's the yeah. big thing that's come up on the show before is like, yeah, you might be able to get 2% or 5% better yeah. accuracy but it might take you six months whereas yeah. maybe yeah. your client or your project would happily take the 80 yeah, percent oh no very managed. much eight, eight, yeah yeah that you know what don't get me you know you want to strive for being as good as you can be but you get to a point it's like actually i can make this model as perfect as i can be or i could seek to do something over here a bit different for my for the client and that will make the bigger difference and 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 yeah it, there's a disjoint sometimes so yeah but i do think that comes from a more diverse team you get more of those you know the ability to empathize collectively and such like so that's an argument for it anyway even though it should be happening anyway <laughs> yeah exactly so, yeah. yeah there's so many there's so many reasons it should happen but we shouldn't yeah. really have to talk about them is no, it's no, probably the overarching point <laughs> yeah no exactly so, but no i think your, your role model thing is, is a great example and i think having people speaking at events and just seeing people in certain roles i think really helps and i think one of the reasons that i started the series is because there's so many different jobs in data that aren't necessarily a data scientist so some people i think it's probably the same in technology in general but you might almost get put off because you're not a techie or whatever it might be but as we're finding out more and more there people need the the kind of bridge in between of well, business the, data technical there's an emerging well, i mean you know as is the sort of there are emerging roles within data science and data engineering, and one of them is that sort of translator role. And that you know to do, th- and that's translating the the you know the real world requirements through to through to the the data scientists lurking in the background. But you know it, it, that that role is a re- it doesn't need to be a technical role, you know. And, and so and that's just one example of where um, non you know the non technical roles. Are va- extremely valuable and and that it comes back to the point about data science as we were speaking about earlier being a multifaceted thing you, you rarely get that in one person so build you know building out a team to reflect your require you know the requirements of the, the holistic team is 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 important i think yeah no i think it, absolutely well thank you so much for joining i really really appreciate the time um it was really nice to, to learn a bit more about kind of your background in UST and who knows we'll maybe try and get you back on uh, when everything's back to a bit more normality and see how the, the kind of productionization is going. Oh yeah I'd be more than happy to, to come back. Thank, thank, thank you very much for having me along. Thank you.